Oh, Jesus is the cornerstone. Amen. Love the way you slid rock of ages right there in the middle of that. You got a cornerstone, you got a rock. Good, solid stuff. Are we ready to build on a strong and firm foundation today? You ready to remember that Jesus is that cornerstone for us? That we start in the right place. Can we start in the right place whenever we start building? Whenever we come home to something new, is there a solid foundation underneath us with what we have going on? Can we do that? This is one of the questions that the prophets we're reading today is trying to, are trying to answer, Ezra and Nehemiah. I don't think they get the right answer, but they're trying to answer, what does it mean that we were taken away? What does it mean that for 70 years we lived under the rule of another? And what does it mean that all of a sudden there's this unexpected grace and we're being sent home? And we're being sent home with a task to actually rebuild, rebuild the sanctuary. What does all this mean? They're trying to struggle with that. What does it mean? And I think they come up with the wrong answer, and I'll tell you more about that later. But it's a strong, strong urge to find out we're coming home. What does it mean? From exile, 70 years. Well, I don't know about you, but as a Texas boy, and some of you might know this, you know, Walter and I just spent 10 years in exile of Chicago winners. Y'all can understand that being exile, right? Well, it was a lovely place, and we had home there in Chicago. But boy, it was good to come back here. It was good to have warm sunshine more days than not, and to not worry about my car that's still rusting out there from the ice and the salt that's on it. But when we got back here to this new place, this new home, we had to search to find what it was going to be and what it looked like and what we were going to build it on. You know, Walter says that wonderful, loving thing that wherever you are, that's home, honey. Y'all had that experience before? Thank you, darling, but we need walls and a roof. <laughs> you know, those, those sorts of things, too. And so we went searching and searching and searching for what would make this feel like a safe, secure, wonderful place for us and where we knew God loved us and where we could invite families and friends in and offer hospitality. And so we were looking for the exact right colors, you know, because colors make a difference. You know, whether your place is hospitable or not, and whether you're feeling good, and all these other things. So we went through all of these paint chips of colors for this new place that, we, that we're in. And we went through color after color after color, and then at the very end of it, you know what we decided? We decided we liked the colors we used to have. <laughs> Tyler Tope and Berber White. It's not really white, even though it's called that, but Tyler Tope and Berber White. So I spent yesterday painting Tyler Tope, and I've got pictures on the wall, so it's starting to feel like home in some ways for us, bringing back the familiar with us. You know, but sometimes it's not always good to bring back only the familiar with you. Sometimes it's good to try something new, so Walter's insisted that we also use dill pickle. <laughs> Pray for us. Pray for us. Pray for us. But in creating that home and wanting to do it right, you know, we've got some tools here. The exiles are coming back and they're trying to create home, and I just know they did not have a circular saw van. They just didn't have a circular saw, but they might have had some of these other things. And so one of the things we do when we move, and we've moved several times, Walter and I, is we, this goes with us. This is my grandmother's punch bowl. This clear glass thing has a rim on top. It looks like one of those terracotta planters. You know, has little punch cups with it, no handles. They look like little terracotta planters, but they're glass too. So much for grandma, you know. But that was in her day what a punch bowl 
was like in our family. And the blocks in the middle of it are from Walter's growing up. He used to play with these blocks. And so we carry Grandma's Punch Bowl and these blocks with us wherever we go to set up home because we know that's a part of our foundation of who loved us and what life is about and joy. And this one block right here on the top, Walter, as an inspired little kid, decided he would decorate it. And he decorated it with the word love on it. And so typically this is in this right down here near the bottom of the bowl as a foundation where it can be seen because usually it's up on a shelf and so you can walk by and you can read that little block that's named love. Um, how old were you when you did that, honey? You don't even know. Young, young. Probably learning to spell. Um, what a wonderful foundation block. What a wonderful Christ as cornerstone block. What a wonderful rock of ages to be that one that's named love. Are you building your home on that foundation that Christ calls us into? Are you building this church? Are we building this church on that foundation that when people come in, they know that Christ is the cornerstone and that foundation block, that rock of ages, is called love, and we let them see that and that they know it and feel it and experience it right here in this place? Now these prophets coming back from exile, they don't choose to build on that cornerstone. We're going to talk a little bit about what that means for us in this life. But there's a wonderful song that's kind of got uh, beautiful words for me from a movie called Trip to Bountiful. I don't know if you know that in the play. Cicely Tyson plays the character on Broadway. I love Broadway. And uh, Geraldine Page plays it in the movie. Love old movies like that. And she is living in exile with her own family. She is living with her son and his wife. And she just can't stand it. She wants to get out of there because it's been miserable for her. And in that place, she would more than likely break out into hymn multiple times during the day. Remember last week, like Daniel praying throughout the day and getting in trouble for it? She would break out into hymns, Amazing Grace. And her daughter-in-law just did not like that and wanted her to shut up. So the whole story of Trip to Bountiful is for her to try to get to this place home. And one of the songs she sang and I decided when I saw it in this movie as I'm going to have it played at my funeral. But to have it played at my funeral, I need to change one word in it. You know, uh, it's called Softly and Tenderly, Jesus is Calling, Calling, Come Home. And in the refrain of the song, there's this phrase that says, Come home, come home. And then Jesus is calling, Oh, sinner, come home. And I want to tell you, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I missed the mark. And I know that I have to ask for forgiveness, so this isn't about that. It's about how I believe Jesus sees me and sees you. When Jesus is calling us home, Jesus is not saying, Oh, Troy, you sinner, come on back. Jesus is saying, Troy, beloved, come home. And so as you hear this, imagine it with those new words. Hear the new word, beloved, come home. Mark, you. And tenderly, Jesus is calling, calling for you and for me. There on the portal, 
Christ watching and waiting, watching for you and for me. Come home, come home. Ye who are weary, come home. Earnestly, tenderly, Jesus is calling, calling, beloved, come home. Beloved, beloved. Thank you. Beloved, come home. So if any of you are around the time for my funeral, then expect to hear that. Of course, I may have a new favorite by the time it gets there. But for now, that's one of them. But changing that word, I believe, is how God sees us and how Christ sees us and how we are called. And so Ezra and Nehemiah, they're trying to answer this question, how can bad things happen to us like they did? And what do we do to make sure those bad things never, never, ever, ever, ever happen again? What can we do to ensure that we are safe, that we don't ever get sick, that we never get lost, that no one ever has control over us anymore? And so they're asking that powerful question, and they come up with the answer, and their answer is, we have to be better. We have to follow the law more closely. We have to be more pure. We have to be legalists. And if we are able to do all these things, then we will be safe. And you saw some of the things they had that they said they needed to do. They offered the Paschal lamb, and, and they considered themselves polluted. They had to release themselves from this pollution, and so they offered a sacrifice. And then that wasn't good enough. They decided that they couldn't live with the same people they were living with. And so they ordered people to send away their families because they weren't pure-blood Israelites that they had intermarried and so they're saying to be pure, to be perfect, to be good. This is what God calls us to be. And if we're that pure, that perfect, if we've earned it enough, we're not going to have anything bad taken away from us. Nothing bad. We don't have to worry about it. If we're perfect, have you ever thought these ways? I just have to do better, work harder, work longer hours, get there earlier. I just have to be better. I have to be perfect. Oh, do you know that trap? Best little boy, best little girl in the world. Don't you love it when one of us queer people gets to be the top soldier and then comes out? How many times have you seen that happen? Right? This perfection thing that we wrestle with all the time, you know, comes from this, what I call, stinking thinking. Stinking thinking. It stinks because it's not true, but it stinks because it gets people in a lot of trouble too. This idea that we can earn our way, our grace, and be fully protected by our actions instead of relying on God's love is stinking thinking. It manifests itself in lots of ways. It manifests itself in the ways that these prophets said, get rid of your family that aren't full bloods. It manifests itself in the ways where parents kick their kids out on the streets because they come out as lesbian, gay, bisexual, or transgender. 
it comes out in so many ways where we separate from one another, where we live in the illusion that we can be perfect, and so we have to separate ourselves from the world. I don't know about you, but it said God so loved the world. It didn't say get out of the world. It says God so loved the world that I give you myself so that where I am you may be also. God so loved the world. Beloved, come home. Are you ready to come home? So Ezra and Nehemiah are making these legalistic claims and saying if we were but pure enough, we would be safe. I had a Roman Catholic friend in elementary school and I remember her running to confession every, every um, week and I wondered what that's about because I was a little Protestant boy. I didn't know what Roman Catholic confession was about. And so, so she would tell me, she said, well, the priest told me that whenever I have a bad thought or do a bad thing, I get a little spot on my heart. And that if I don't get back to confession before my heart turns all spotted, that I'll die. That is stinking thinking. You know, that I had to get back, confess, or I'll die. You know, and one of my practice relationships as a young person, if y'all had practice relationships, they last <laughs> more than a night, less than half a year, you know, those practice relationships growing up. So as I was learning about how to be in relationship with people, there was this one Saturday night where this partner at the time said that we weren't going to have sex, which was unusual because Saturday night was one of those times when that happened. <laughs> you know, a little more time than usual and, you know, could find our way towards each other. And he said, no. I said, no, why? And he said, well, because tomorrow I'm reading scripture in church. <laughs> what? <laughs> sex on Saturday night, reading scripture on Sunday morning and... What does that mean if we believe that? That means we believe it's bad and not pure to be sexual, even with people we care about and love. That is stinking thinking comes about trying to be so pure. It can hurt you. It can hurt others. Another time living in Montrose, I happened to have a garage apartment behind the home that I was in. A fellow named Mark lived in that garage apartment. And Mark was a beautiful young person, 29, 30 years old, and he loved life. He would be out there partying, and partying for Mark meant drinking and smoking and men. And he had a variety. That happens when you're good looking and young. It can happen. can happen. And a couple of times I'd talk to Mark. He knew I was a pastor, and he couldn't ever put together that faith part with that sexual part. They were always separate from him. So if he was drinking and smoking and sexing, that meant Jesus was not there. Okay? And he'd been taught that. Ezra and Nehemiah are teaching us that when we read those words. Kick those people out because they're not pure enough. And so when he was trying to be good, he would not drink and he would not smoke and he would not have sex with men and he'd go to a conservative church where they told him he was good. He couldn't live with the knowledge that gosh, that last one was actually kind of nice, and I almost started to love them. That was too scary and would not allow him to be pure and to keep his worlds apart from each other. At his funeral at that conservative church out on I-10, just outside the loop, or beltway, outside the beltway, there were a lot of ex-gay people in the congregation 
there were a lot of folks who were also having a hard time putting that together, that you can be whole, that the foundational block is love, and Jesus is the cornerstone, and that you can trust that deeply. And so I was wearing my collar, and they invited people to come share, and so I got up there to share, and I said, Mark was never more beautiful when I got a glimpse of him, trusting God loved him so much that when he loved a man that he was doing God's desire. He didn't like me very much. <laughs> but someone needed to hear that. More than one someone needed to hear that, that they could come home to the Christ that is love. They could build on that foundation. Instead of building on that shaky foundation, I want to show you a video from a staff meeting that I did in Chicago where we were building staff teamwork. And in my kitchen, in my home, uh, we played Jenga. And I would say, this is what this foundation looks like when it's not on God's love. Oh! <laughs> Wait, do we have a full 32 rows? Thirty-three. Look at me. I'm not going to trust her. I'm going to count. Wow. Come on, Rachel. See, my turn is well, after we Rachel. That we've already won, but it's all about the process, right? <laughs> So I'm hoping she makes it fall. <laughs> Have you ever anticipated the fall? We're building this. Let's anticipate the fall. Look at that. Concentration. Wow. And you, and you save another round. She could have let that thing fall. We've all been waiting to play this for a while. Yes, it is. Okay, try that seat a little bit. it that I'm the one that mocked that caused it to fall down they also loved it that I was the loud scream that you heard <laughs> but when we start building on anything less than God's love and Christ is our foundation no matter how tall we get no matter how pretty it looks no matter what beautiful clothes and car we drive and the house looks like then it's gonna fall just like that and other people will gather around us and help us build it too but it has to be built on the sure and strong foundation that Christ is love and reaches out to us and that we're able to hold those things together, that nothing is meant to be separate. It is just an illusion if it is separate. We've got to hold that together. 
So I don't know what you're working on that's about to topple over. Can you think of something? You know? What are you building upon? Where might you need to go back down to the foundational level and start anew? At this church, we hope to build every step, every place on those foundation blocks. But you can get distracted. You ever heard the phrase, cleanliness is godliness? That's nice to be clean. I was one of those little kids that um, didn't like to play in the mud too much. You know, you know how some of those little boys are. I was one of those. Pretty clean. Mom dressed me for church. I usually clean when it was time to go to church. You know? Cleanliness is next to godliness. You know, be perfect, be pure, be clean. Yeah? But cleanliness only keeps you from experiencing God. What does it mean for us if we work so hard on being clean, on being pure, that we miss the experience of God's love right there in our life, in our hearts? Cleanliness is next to godliness, but God calls us to be involved with God, to be involved with Jesus as the cornerstone. So can we live into those words of knowing that we're sinners that need healing and growing, but we don't shut people out and that Christ calls us as beloved? Because that's how Jesus sees us. That's how God sees us. Can we move to that place in our life and build on that strong foundation? We're going to sing that song together. I'm going to ask Mark to sing the verse once. And you join with us in the new words. The new words. Come home, come home, ye who are weary, come home, earnestly, tenderly, Jesus is calling, calling, beloved. was a prophet in the tradition of Isaiah and Jeremiah that said anything that happens in your life know that God is there in it you may call it good you may call it bad know that God is in it with you Jesus was in that line of prophets of making meaning out of everything so today we're invited to find our way home as we find home we find God as we find home, we find Christ. As we find home, we find love. We find love overflowing. And that's the block to build on. Amen.